I feel ready to go another nine innings. We got a big problem. Well, I wish you'd explain it to me sometime, Buster. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today we're going to catch up a little. I've had a busy couple of weeks. Anybody who's followed me on my Twitch stream knows what's been going on, and I'm going to use this episode of the podcast to catch up with everybody who doesn't follow me on Twitch or may have missed last week's streams. I'm going to start off by saying this is all with Mrs. GamerDude's permission and actually her blessing because we're going to talk a little bit about a health condition that we were dealing with. Actually, I was along for the ride. She was dealing with it. But she said, no, no, absolutely talk about it because if I can help anybody who's in a similar situation, I'm happy to do so. I'm going to start with the end first. She had a couple of procedures and they were successful and she's fine and recovering. So nothing to worry about. Everything's okay. It's easy to say when it's all over and done with. But when the buildup is going on, when you don't know what to expect, when the doctors have to tell you all the things that could go wrong, that causes you endless worry. Obviously, it caused her more. But if you remember the surgery that I had a couple of years ago for the acoustic neuroma, I knew exactly what she was going through because I had the same things in my head. I was worried about all of the risks. I was worried about all of the things that could go wrong. You don't think about the positive outcome. You think about, oh, what could go wrong? And that's what you tend to dwell on. Because of this thing that she had, which I'll tell you about in a second, I was living it again, but from her perspective this time, because she was by my side when I went through my surgery, I was by her side as she's getting ready for her surgery. And it's a grueling process. It really is. It's a scary process. It's grueling for both people because I don't want to worry her by telling her what I'm worried about. I already know she's worried about stuff. Why burden her with my worries too? I mean, you're used to telling each other everything. If you're in a good relationship, you are. You talk about everything and we talk about everything. But I didn't want to burden her with the stuff that I was worrying about because I knew she was worrying already. So you have to be supportive and quiet. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying that in you've got to be able to read the room kind of way. It's not all about you. So anyway, the thing that we're talking about is what they diagnosed as a paraganglioma. Yeah, I'd never heard of it either. When they're diagnosing you with something you've never heard of, never had an inkling of, have no idea what it is, that's usually not a good sign. You know, I know what a cyst is. We all know what carpal tunnel syndrome is. If you're diagnosed with that, you know what it is. You don't worry about it. I hadn't heard of an acoustic neuroma before, so I was worried about that, although I had heard about neuromas before. Even atrial fibrillation. We know what it is. We've heard about it. It's not a great condition to have, but at least it's a familiar one. But when the doctor says paraganglioma, oh my God, it just sounds bad. It's not in and of itself bad. I mean, it's like a cyst. It's like a tumor. The bad part about this one is where it was on Mrs. Gamer Dude. That's what made it challenging and scary. And I'll tell you where it was as we build up to this. Because this story goes back five years. Now, five years ago, Mrs. GamerDude was feeling around her neck. It was the right side of her neck, just under the jawline. And she felt a lump there, a small lump, nothing major. Just a little, hmm, I wonder what that is. And I felt it back then, and it was a little something. Didn't feel like anything bad. Like I'm a doctor, I could tell by feeling it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, honey, it's fine. But her doctor back then sent her for an ultrasound, and the radiologist interpreted whatever it was as two lymph nodes, one on top of the other. And nobody looked at the report. Apparently, nobody looked at the film again. There was no follow-up, no additional testing. 
They just left it at that. Now, that's five years ago. Fast forward to earlier this year, 2023, and Mrs. GamerDude noticed uh, the lump is back and bigger. It seems bigger. So she went to her doctor again, and the doctor said, oh, well, I'm not liking the looks of that. Let's get another ultrasound. And so they did. Well, that ultrasound led to a referral to a specialist. Not just any specialist. No, no. We had to go to an expert in the field of ear, nose, and throat. Now, fortunately, we're near a big city. We're near Philadelphia. We're near New York, too, but Philadelphia is closer. And the University of Pennsylvania Medical Center is right there. Coincidentally enough, they have one of the leading experts in the field of ENT treatment, I guess. And he's a nice guy. We met him several times. Very nice guy. So they wanted to do another scan and another test, and there was days and days of testing and scanning and trips to Philly, waiting for reports, waiting for consults. And the doctor came back and said, yeah, that's a paraganglioma. It's basically a tumor, and this kind of tumor is a very rare thing. It only happens in one out of every two million people or so. This particular one is particularly rare. And there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is it's a removable thing. We can surgically treat it. The bad news is it sits right on top of the carotid artery. Now, I don't know a lot of anatomy, but I've read enough murder mysteries. I've seen enough detective shows. I've seen enough doctor shows. I know the carotid artery is not something you want to mess with. It's basically the major highway on which blood travels from the heart to the brain. The most efficient way to kill somebody is to cut the carotid artery. They'll bleed out in seconds. There's a couple of things in your neck you don't want to mess with. The jugular vein is one of them. The carotid artery is the other. And I've known this for years. As I said, too many murder mysteries as a kid. Just a little too much CSI. And so, of course, the way Google is these days, I'm looking at pictures of paragangliomas. I'm looking at pictures of the carotid artery. I'm reading about this thing. I'm learning about procedures. And of course, I'm reading the risks, which is the worst thing to do. Take my advice. If you get diagnosed with something, if you find out you have something, don't read about it. Just listen to the doctor. Reading about it on your own, it's going to freak you out. Yes, do some reading on your own after you talk to the doctor. But don't freak yourself out before you get there. But anyway, back to the doctor. I'm not going to use names today. If you need a specialist, just let me know. I'll get you the name. But the doctor was very, very nice. His staff was very, very nice. They made it clear that this wasn't an urgent thing. It wasn't so urgent that she had to go in for surgery tomorrow. The initial diagnosis was in April-ish. We did some follow-up testing in May, and they scheduled surgery for June. So it was about a two-month time frame that we were dealing with. Now, two months is a long time to worry. And I know Mrs. GamerDude was worried for that whole two months. I know she was. She couldn't sleep. She couldn't eat the way that she used to. She couldn't read. She was distracted. Mrs. GamerDude devours books. She reads them all of the time. She couldn't get through a book from the initial diagnosis to the surgery. She just couldn't concentrate. She was too distracted. And I get it. I totally get it. Now, as the support person for Mrs. GamerDude, I wanted to make things easier for her. I wanted to make it easier for her to deal with these things. But you can't get in another person's head. I can't jump in her head and go, it's okay, calm down, everything's fine. I wanted to, but you can't. The person with the problem has to handle it. And she handled it. It's just I could see she was affected. And I didn't want her to be affected. I wanted her to have a nice, happy life, not worrying about things like things in your head. But all I could do is be there and be supportive. And that's what I did. I was there and I was supportive. And, you know, I drove her to the doctor's appointments. We went over the paperwork together. I kept a little journal so I knew what they were talking about. If we had any questions, I could go back to my journal and ask them. Or I could go research things on my own. 
I just kept track of what was going on, just in case. I didn't want to leave any questions unasked. But we saw the doctor the end of May, and he said, yeah, you have a couple of options. Right now, it's at the size where I can still operate, and there's really not any risk of not getting it all. The longer you wait, if it continues to grow, the risk of removing it surgically increases. And so, as the doctor explained, you don't want to wait too long. He also said, you don't have to have it removed. You can monitor it. But the problem is, if it grows bigger, we have that problem of it getting too big to effectively remove surgically. But you don't have to remove it. You can live with it. The likelihood is it's probably not going to grow too fast, and it's probably not going to interfere with your carotid artery because it sits on the carotid artery, and because it's a tumor, it attaches to the blood supply, and that's how it feeds itself. That's how it stays alive. So it's not something you really want to leave. He also said one of the other options is radiation, and he was candid. I don't recommend radiation. I think it was a combination of the location and the size, which is why he didn't recommend radiation. He said surgery was the best option if we wanted to remove it. I say we, if she wanted to remove it. It's her choice. I was just the rooting section. And whatever she wanted to do, I would have supported it. Now, Mrs. Gamerdude hasn't ever really had anything major wrong with her. She had carpal tunnel surgery a couple of years ago. But aside from that, she's been very, very healthy. And so that first time that you're facing some procedure where the list of risks include risk of stroke, risk of death, risk of this, risk of that, when you have a list of risks that's half a page long, it causes you concern. Believe me, I know. But she ultimately decided to have it removed. Now, because of the nature of this thing and the location of this thing, the removal process is a two-step procedure. And they explained all this, and they were very, very nice. UPenn, it's, you know, it's an Ivy League school. It's a world-class facility, one of the best hospitals in the world. We were very fortunate to be able to go there. So they were very, very diligent in explaining things. They were very informative. They were very helpful. And they said, yeah, it's a two-step procedure. On day one, you have to have an embolization of the tumor. Yeah, I don't know what that is either. I do now. When they said you need that, I had no clue. Basically what it is, is they inject the tumor with a crystalline substance of some sort. There's a lot of different things that they can use, and I didn't press the doctor for details. I looked it up online. There's a lot of different things they can use. But what that does is seal off the tumor's blood flow. The goal is to stop the bleeding or minimize the bleeding when you remove it. And the crystals apparently fill it full of solid stuff so that it doesn't bleed. But they do that on day one. And then they leave you in the hospital. You have to be admitted. They leave you in the hospital and monitor you. They got to make sure that everything goes okay. I guess you can have a reaction to that. And yes, this process also involves a half a page of risks. Risk of stroke, risk of allergic reaction, risk of death, blah, blah, blah. They say it so simply, so matter-of-factly. Basically, what they do is they shove a little thing up your veins or up your arteries to go to where the tumor is and do the injection. There's a whole fancy phrase for it. I forget what it is. But that's the embolization process. So you go through that, you stay overnight at the hospital, and then the next day, our expert in ENT treatment comes in to remove the tumor. After that takes place, then they keep her again overnight, observation, make sure everything's okay, make sure there's not any adverse effects, and then with any sort of luck, they release you on day three. And they make it sound simple enough, they make the whole process sound, okay, day one we do this, day two we do this, day three you go home. Except, you know, when you get down there, it's not necessarily day three you go home, you'll probably go home. Wait, wait, you told me I was going home on day three. No, no, you'll probably go home on day three. Okay. They make it sound simple, but it's never that simple. 
Fortunately, we were only there for the three days. But they do throw that in after you get there and after everything started. They go, oh yeah, you might need an extra day. And I'll tell you why that's important. I'll tell you why that's important. We had to drive about an hour and 15 minutes each way to get to UPenn. They didn't tell us what time the embolization would be on day one, which was a Monday. So we weren't sure what time we would have to be down at the facility. Was it going to be an 8 o'clock procedure? Was it going to be a 10 o'clock procedure? Was it going to be a 1 in the afternoon procedure? They didn't tell us. They weren't going to tell us until the Friday before. So we couldn't make plans. We just weren't sure what time we would have to go. But I told Mrs. Gamerdude, you know, whatever time, we'll just get up and we'll go. Everything else we had done there had been like a 1 o'clock or a 2 o'clock appointment. The way they described this procedure, it didn't sound like it was complicated. So I figured, ah, they'll take us at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, whatever. Admit her. We'll be there for the afternoon. They'll take her first thing on Tuesday morning for the surgery. No, they didn't work it that way. The way it worked, the Friday before the Monday procedure, oh yeah, you're number one on the list. It'll be 8.45 in the morning. So you need to be down here a little before that. Oh, okay. Well, let's see. Monday morning rush hour. We have to be there at 8.45. I guess if we leave about 6.30, it should be enough time to account for rush hour traffic. Because going into Philadelphia is like going into any big city. There's no good time to go there at rush hour. Hell, with Philadelphia, there's no good time to go there anytime. All of the highways are always busy. But that's a different story. I decided to build in a little more than two hours to get down there because the week before the procedure, that's when I-95 collapsed. I don't know if you heard this news, but there was a huge fire under one of the overpasses for I-95, and it caused the entire interstate system to shut down. I-95 is the major thoroughfare on the East Coast connecting Maine to Miami, basically. And yeah, a fire melted the bridge and shut the highway down. That was the main way we went to UPenn. So in addition to trying to plan for the surgery, I had to plan an alternate route, which we did. I mean, there's plenty of ways to get down there. There's just none as direct as I-95. So we planned our route. If we go 295, we take 76 and 76 connects up to here. And then we take that exit. It worked out. We got there with plenty of time to spare. We actually even found a really good parking spot in the parking garage in the building where we were supposed to be. We got there, got checked in, everything was good. Meanwhile, in the lead up to all of this, I told you it took about an hour and 15 minutes to get there. The last thing I wanted to do was try to drive an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 30 minutes, an hour and 45 minutes with bad traffic at the end of the day, and then first thing in the morning the next day. I didn't want to be that far away. And I was already not looking forward to not being with her for the two nights that she had to be in the hospital. And I didn't want to be an hour and 15 minutes away if I didn't have to be. So I had booked a hotel as soon as we knew the dates of the surgery. There was a Sheraton Hotel, which was about a 15-minute walk away from the hospital. And I said, you know, let's just get the hotel room. The dirty little secret about city hotels, and this is true in New York, it's true in Philly. I'm sure it's true in cities across the country. The hotels charge you for the room. They also charge you for the parking. It's a separate fee. You don't get to park your car at the hotel that you're staying at for free. You might be paying 180 bucks for a room, which is not an unusual price for a room in downtown Philadelphia. But on top of that 180 bucks, you got to come up with 35 bucks a day to park your car. Even if you're not going to use it, even if you're not going to take it out, even if you're going to park it and leave it, they still charge you 35 bucks a day. So I got to be honest, when I was looking for a hotel, I was pricing out the parking for the hotels in addition to the room rates because I had to add everything together to figure out what was the best deal. Not that I wasn't going to pay for it. I was going to pay for whatever it took to be there. 
But you do hate to get screwed by hotels and restaurants and any place else that charges you extra fees for things that really should be included in whatever it is you're buying. A meal, a room, whatever. So I found this Sheraton. It was about 180 bucks a night. Yes, I know. But that's what the rate is. That was one of the cheaper rates. There were some rates that were two and a quarter, two and a half. Some rates were over $300 a night. I felt really good about the Sheraton at 180 And I was willing to bite the bullet for the 35 extra bucks a night for parking. But as it turns out, when I parked the car at the hospital, they actually let you leave the car there. They had 24-hour parking. You didn't have to leave every night. So I went to the window and I said, so how much for 24 hours? It was 20 bucks. 20 bucks for 24 hours? Sold. I'm thinking I'm going to be there three days, maybe four, but three days, 20, 40, 60, that's cheap compared to what the Sheraton wanted to charge me. So I said, I can walk to the hotel from here. Just grab my bag out of the car and go. And that's what I did. So on Monday, after they did that first embolization procedure, they had to transfer Mrs. Gamerdude from the operating building across the street by way of tunnels and bridges and all kinds of secret passageways to her room in the other building. I guess that's where they house the patients between operations. So while they did that transport thing, I went to the car, grabbed my bag, and checked into the hotel. I got all checked in, got all settled, and was back at the hospital just as they were settling Mrs. Gamerdude in. So it worked out perfectly. It was after the fact that I realized, you know, I should have taken this room on Sunday, too. That way we wouldn't have had to get up at 5.30 in the morning to get in the car at 6.30 in the morning to get there for an 8.45 appointment. But as I said, I wasn't anticipating that we would have to be there at 8.45 in the morning. But I digress. So Monday, the procedure went well. I got checked into the hotel, got back to the hospital, and I sat with Mrs. Gamerdude all the rest of Monday night. I would have stayed there a lot longer than I did, but she didn't want me walking back to the hotel in the city in the dark. I said, I'm a big boy. I can do it. But I didn't want to give her any more agitation or anything else to worry about. So visiting hours were over at 8. The nurses weren't really coming around to throw me out, but we could look out the window and see it was getting dark out. So Mrs. Gamerdude made me leave at about 20 after 8. Stopped at a Wawa on the way back to the hotel because I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to go grab something to eat while Mrs. Gamerdude is sitting there. So I had packed some snacks in the bag. I scarfed some snacks during the course of the day. But on the way to the hotel, I stopped at Wawa, picked up a sandwich, picked up some snacks, and went to the room. And Mrs. Gamerdude and I talked on the phone, and we texted each other. And let me tell you, I really missed her. I don't like being apart from Mrs. Gamerdude. I've said this many times before. I've outkicked my coverage by meeting her and by having her in my life. And I was very upset that we weren't together. And of course, that makes you worried, too. I didn't say anything to her. She had too much to worry about. She didn't need to worry about me feeling bad. So I just texted her, I miss you, I love you, and I fell asleep. Got up early the next morning. Tuesday was the day of the big surgery. Walked back down to the hospital. They let me into her room at 8. The procedure wasn't scheduled till 11, so we sat for a while together and just watched Reba and the Golden Girls. 11 o'clock rolls around, they still haven't come and got her. It's one of those, uh, hurry up and wait. Please, just can we get this over with? She was more agitated than I was, of course, because she's the one who wants to get it over with. I just wanted to get it over with so she'd stop worrying about it. Because it was making her crazy, and I didn't like to see her being made crazy. They finally came around and got her around 11.30ish. They had to wheel her back across the street to the operating building. There's this circuitous route of tunnels and bridges that they have to take her through that we as family members can't follow. We have to go the other way. So I found my way across and they let me into her room. And to make a very long story short, they got her prepped and the surgery went seamlessly, smoothly, and without a hitch. 
Of course there are residuals. There's stitches. We're going to have to worry about those. They sent her home with a drain. I don't know if you've ever had a drain. Sometimes with surgery, they plug a drain in and stitch it into your head and it drains the blood. And you have to empty that thing, which is kind of a gross thing. Because you're draining blood. It's one of those things that Mrs. Gamer Dude, who loves her horror movies, who loves beheadings and eyes being poked out and limbs being cut off, as long as it's in a horror movie. But when you have your own blood in a cup hanging from your chest, it's a little off-putting. But I learned, as a parent, how to handle that stuff. When I was a kid, I would get sick if somebody got sick. Vomit would make me want to vomit. Blood would make me just queasy. But then when you have your own kids and you have to clean up their blood, their vomit, their poop, all of a sudden, you can. When you're the only one able to do it, you realize it's got to be done. I better do it. And that's what we were dealing with here. Mrs. Gamerdude could not do it. It made her lightheaded to look at a jar of her blood hanging from her chest. Yes, I know that's gross, but it's just a fact of life. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it's something you have to do. So they sent her home with a strain and it needed to be emptied and I emptied it. You have to log how much you empty. If it's below 30 milliliters, then they take it out. You can't do it yourself. They actually suture it into your head. And we discovered when we went back to Philly, they cut the sutures and then yank the hose out of your head. Literally, it's like a... That's how they take the hose out. Okay, maybe I'm exaggerating a little, but that's what it seemed like. The nurse who did it said, okay, take a deep breath. And Mrs. Gamerdude went... And as she did that, she yanked the hose and the drain came out. Yeah, that's how that went. But they sent her home with a drain. The first night she had less than 10 milliliters. The second night she had less than that. So Friday morning, she was on the phone to the doctor's office and said, please, can I get this drain out? And they said, yeah, if you can get here by two o'clock. At 12 o'clock, they say this. As I mentioned, we're about an hour and a half away without I-95 in place. So if we have to get there before two o'clock, we've got to move. Well, we did. And we made it. And they took that drain out on Friday afternoon. She's still recovering. She's still going through the process of getting all of the feeling back because they operate on the right side of your neck. If you can imagine a scar from just under your ear to just under your chin, that's where the operation was. That's the length of the cut they had to do. And so they have it all stitched up and all taped up. So she's got to recover from that. And when you're poking around there, you're poking around nerves and that affects the nerves in your face. So she gets tingles in her head and her face sometimes. She's recovering from that right now. The doctor said it could be a two to four week recovery. And the nurse said it may be up to six months before she has all of the feeling back in her face which I guess is one of the residuals, one of those little fine print things they don't tell you about. Oh yeah, up to six months? Oh, okay. But you know what? She got through it. The procedure was a success. The tumor was removed. It's one less thing she has to worry about. And let me tell you, she has slept so well over the past three or four days, and she's back to reading. The fact that she's back to reading does my heart good, because that's one of her favorite things to do. She loves to sit and read her books. And when she's doing that, I know she's happy. And that makes me happy. So that's what we've been up to the past few weeks. If it seems like I may have been distracted, that's why. I've been worried about Mrs. Gamer Dude. What can I say? But as I said, we had one of the best doctors in the country at one of the best hospitals in the country. Couldn't have asked for better. I mean, I did mention on the stream that we had some issues with the insurance. And this is what's wrong with healthcare in the U.S. This is one of those procedures where the doctor, one of the top experts in the country, recommends it. And the insurance says, well, you know, we're still considering it. We haven't approved it yet. It'll take us 14 days. 
It'll take you 14 days. The doctor already said she needs it. And they ultimately approved it. But that's just an extra layer of worry. On top of the worry of the condition that you have, you have to worry whether the insurance is going to approve it and whether they're going to pay for it. They ultimately said they were going to, but why should that even be a factor in the conversation? Anyway, that'll do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for being here. As always, I appreciate your support, and I appreciate all the time you spend listening to these episodes. Until next time, you guys take care of yourselves, and I'll see you when I see you.